Friends and neighbors, I've got good news for you. Okay. All right. Friends and neighbors, I've got good news for you. Next week is Christmas Eve. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I've got good news for you. A king has been born. Yeah, a king is born, and his, and his kingdom has begun. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, the Lord Jesus comes onto the scene in Galilee, and he's preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, or believe in the gospel. Friends, when Jesus came on the scene preaching this, it meant something very, very specific, very powerful to his audience. And we've talked about this a little bit, but it, what, it, it meant something to them because they were expecting something. They expected it because their lives, their hopes had been informed by Old Testament prophecy. Are you doing all right there? Just walking around, getting, taking a walk? All right. Uh, I know. I'm just going to get him. He knows. He's merciless. Anyway, thank you, sugar. Uh, there's a... Their expectations were informed by prophecy. Friends, let me re- let's just go over this again. Old Testament prophecy, if you are not, maybe you're not a fan of, of some of those, those Old Testament books because you've, uh, one time I was, uh, I was, I took my, uh, my son to, the, to his pediatrician and years ago and uh, uh, he, uh, I had bought him a one-year Bible. And, uh, and he was reading it, and he had gotten into the, some of the prophetic literature of the, of the Old Testament, and I came to see him with the appointment, and, he, and, uh, and it, it, ironically enough, his name was, was Noel. But, uh, oh, well. But uh, 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 he, I said, hey, are you reading, reading the Bible? And he said, yeah. He said, man, man, God was in a bad mood. <laughs> and, I said, and that's the problem is if you read just snippets of some of the Old Testament literature, some of the Old Testament pr- prophetic literature, you can come away and think, man, I'm out of here, you know. But if, you, but if you'll take time and, and, and realize that there's much more being said, that yes, the Old Testament prophets, for very good reason, were calling to the nation of Israel and Judah and saying, here's you and here's the covenant, and there's too big of a gap between where you're living and what the, co- what the covenant of, of, of the Lord for you. And, and you need to come back, and they would implore them to come back, and then they would say, if you don't come back, and you can almost hear the prophet saying, please, please, listen. If you don't come back, the only thing waiting for you is devastation. And then they would l- l- describe a lot of that. And they would seem to take many pages to describe the devastation. But, 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 always, without fail, the prophets would take a deep breath. And sometimes right in the middle of that, and often at the conclusion of it, there would be a great big, but there's hope coming. But no matter what, no matter how unfaithful you are, no matter how much disobedience you enter into, it, will, it cannot change the nature of God. That's good enough news for somebody to think it's good news. Okay? No matter, and friends, you, you, can, you say, oh man, he's in a bad mood. He really can't do it. I mean, his anger may last for a, a moment, but it's his favor for a lifetime. And, and yes, God can be grieved, but, but no amount of grief. Of, of, uh, that should be good news, because if you take a look at the world right now, you think, man, things aren't great. And uh, if he were like me, he'd just give up and just, just, you know, Zeus the whole place. Okay? 
But that's not God. Our, our disobedience, our rebellion, our anger, our hostility toward one another, the way we treat our injustice, our unkindness, our immorality, all that stuff, it can't change the nature of God. He's still going to come back and offer hope. Yeah, I, I, mom heard me. Only person that heard me was my mom. She's the happy one back there, okay? Uh, he comes back and offers hope, and Isaiah is full of this, and the Old Testament prophets are full of this. There, there are these warnings about disobedience, but always in the middle of these warnings, and at the conclusion of these things, are, these, are, the, are the promises of God for redemption. For, and they're all tied, not ambiguously, they're not just out there floating around. They all are tied to the, the idea that someone would eventually come and fix this mess. That someone was coming. Somebody say, somebody's coming. Somebody say, somebody's coming. That is, that is a, when I teach my Old Testament history and literature class, I say, look, if, we could, if I could summarize the whole Old Testament for you, there's lots of messages there, but if you can remember one thing, if you read the Old Testament, somebody's coming. Come on, say, somebody's coming. And the Isaiah, in fact, the book of Isaiah is called the gospel of the Old Testament because it's just full of promises and references. Although Isaiah is the nation, the northern, Israel, the northern, the northern kingdom is messed up and they've, they've, they're, they're on their way. And Isaiah's turned to, 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 to the nation of the southern kingdom and he's begging them. He said, come on, learn your lesson from, from the northern kingdom. They've messed up. But you guys, come on, come on, get with it. But the, he knows they're not going to. And so he says, oh, it's going to get bad. He said, but it might get bad, but it won't stay bad. Because somebody's coming. There's a, uh, he said, there, someday there's a king will come. Someday there's a kingdom that will come. And so the nation of Israel, after, after exile, they come out of exile and they steward, they keep these promises, partic- particularly from Isaiah. And they memorize them and they sing them and they talk about them and they repeat them. And they, you know, the Hebrews, they would sing the scriptures. You know, they would, they would sing everything, you know, to remember it. And, and, it, and it, would become, it would become part of their, when you, you know, songs go into a different part of the brain. That's why you can remember songs so well. You remember almost anything I say today unless I, it was, it was a song, right? So they would sing it and they would know it. And they, would under, and they, and they were taught that these promises were a part of a coming kingdom. And, I, and I'm spending all this time because you need to hear that for all this time, people, that prophecy ignites expectation, which is why even in our services we pause because we believe at, at Heritage that, that the voice of the Spirit still speaks. And not, he's not writing new Bibles, but that there's words of encouragement that can come alive in the room and bring, and bring us to a, a consciousness and expectation of hope. That's why we do that. We do that because we want people to not gather just to remember something, but to expect something. And they expected something. Their Jesus audiences was expecting something. Now, true, yes, yes, it had been a long time. And many of them were discouraged and weary. But Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene and he says, it's time. He literally says, it's time. The time has been fulfilled. He did not say, oh, almost time, keep waiting, wait another few thousand millennia. Nope, the time has been fulfilled. Repent. Everybody smile and say, Repent. That's a word that's fallen out of favor, hasn't it? Nobody likes that word. Nobody likes to change anything. Nobody likes to let go of sin. We like sin. Sin is, if you didn't like it, you wouldn't do it. Don't gasp at me. God, I can't believe you said that. Okay? But no, but repenting is even better. No one, no one, no one who's ever repented regretted it. No one. They all were like, oh, thank God. Repenting always leads to rejoicing. That was last week. 
Jesus comes on the scene. He says, the time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the in the gospel, which simply means the good news of the kingdom. And so they heard this, and that they were that what, what was important is that they were what they were hearing was met with expectations in their hearts that were informed from the scriptures. That's why it's still important to this day. I know I got more to say, but that's why to this day it's important. Friends, let the scriptures inform your expectations. Not the media, not your own circumstances, not your own disappointments. Let let the scriptures inform and nourish and strengthen your expectations and bring those. The Lord wants to meet you there. Amen goes there. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is here. And what they heard was that that what they believed to be true from all of what they remembered from the book of Isaiah, that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is saying that what we heard in Isaiah, it's time. Come on, somebody say it's time. Now, there's a lot of them. There's about 17 major portions of the book of Isaiah that speak to this, the king and the coming kingdom. We're, gonna, we're just looking at one passage while we're while this, this Christmas season because there's a, lot, there's a lot in one passage. It's not an unfamiliar passage if you've heard of, 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 of Handel's Messiah. It's in, it's in here. But here's, here's, here's one of the larger passages that, that describe this coming kingdom. This is what inf- was the portion of Isaiah that informed the expectations of Jesus' audience. And as such, friends, this passage can help inform our expectations of who Christ is to us as well. Does that connect? We got it? This, is, this, this informed their expectations. We want it to inform ours. Okay, here we go. Listen carefully. Here, we'll go quickly now. Uh, we're doing all right. Okay? Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses. Listen to this. Right away, you can't not get happy. Are you ready? But there will be no more gloom. All right, that's pretty good. Seven or eight people are glad about that. Everybody else, no, more gloom for me. Okay? Uh, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, she treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. We talked about that. Two, two or three weeks ago. That's the northern kingdom there, the northern part of Israel, with contempt. But, in the, in the, in, but later on, he shall make it glorious. No more gloom, but glorious. By way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Wait a minute. He's saying something's going to happen in Galilee. Now, if you don't know, get the tape. But, it's, but here's the spoiler alert. It's Jesus. The Galilean, okay, okay, something's going to happen, and then what's going to happen? Here's the results. He he's going to he starts to describe results of something that's cooking. He says the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. Verse three: You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their, on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. Whoops, I forgot first service to tell them why it says as at the battle of Midian. If you know somebody from first service, let me just tell you real quick. The battle of Midian was... Uh, Ah, oh, nuts. Who's that feller with the water and the pots? Gideon. Thank you. Yeah. So that, that was the, bat, the battle of Midian speaks of, of Gideon's battle when a massive army was overcome by a small army. 
And what he's saying is, it may look impossible, but not for the one who's coming. Okay, I told you. It's worth it. Come to second service because I remember stuff. Okay. Uh, he says, it looks impossible. It looks like it's never, you, you, this, you, it's not going to happen. But somebody's coming. For you, for every for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Meaning the victory is over, it's done. Burn it all up because he won the battle. Okay, he's going to do it, not you. He wins. I also, that's also for second service. First service didn't get that. Okay, then verse six. Here's that's what's going, verses four and five. That's what's verse four is going to happen. The verses 1, 2, and 3 are the, are the result of an action of salvation. He describes the result. There's light, there's joy, there's hope. Why? Because of verse 4. In verse 4, something happens. Salvation happens. Victory happens. Deliverance happens. Then in verse 6 and 7, he describes who does that. The Savior, the child, the one born. Oh, here's what he actually says. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Listen to the language here. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. The name, hint, hint, hint. Bing, bing, bing. The name of this king is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now, in the Old Testament, when someone was born, they would have names like the Lord saves and this and that and the other. But this is unique. Isaiah is saying the the name of this person, he's not. Okay. He's not named after God. He's named God. Who's coming isn't going to be like anybody who came before him, and there'll never be anybody like him after. There's only the one. For unto us a son is given. A child is born. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You want a little heads up about Prince of Peace? You got to wait for next week about it. But I know that sounds like the Prince of Hippies. Right? It sounds like Prince of Hippies. It, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. It means guy who beat everybody else up. It means peace because everybody else is beat up. <laughs> anyway, you got to wait till next week. Merry Christmas. What child is this? The one who beat up everybody else. Okay. <laughs> Listen, verse 7, for there will be, when I say beat up, I don't mean people. I mean the enemies, the enemies of God's people. We'll talk about that. Verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the, throne of, on, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then, from when? From as soon as it starts. From as soon as it starts. Someone say that with as soon as it starts. From as soon as it starts and forevermore. That means start. More, 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 take a break, go back. No, stop believing that. That's really bad eschatology. Oh, Jesus came and wonderful things, and then he took a time out. He went on a 2,000-year vacation, but he'll be back someday. Like Jesus is, like there's a big sign that says, out of the office. A king is born, and his kingdom has begun. Now, 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 there's more to come. 
There's, but listen, we believe that there's more to come. That is proper doctrine. There's more to come. That Christ, Jesus Christ is returning. That is the hope of glory, the hope of all the earth. Jesus Christ is returning. That there will come a day when, his, when he will return and, the, and he will, his, his return will forever change the fabric of the cosmos. I can't believe how awesome it's going to be. But do not let your anticipation for what is yet to come remove your confidence, your hope in what he's already started. Yay! Okay, I already told you that, and I already told you that. Okay, so, verse, for, so verses 1 through 3 are the result of the action. Verse 4 is the action, and verses 6 and 7 are the, act, are the actor, the Savior himself. So verse 4 then tells us what's going to happen. It answers the question, how will joy come? How will light burst forth for those in darkness? What will happen? I'm going to say, what will happen? What will happen is there will come a king who saves. And this is what he'll do. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 is really the, the axis of the passage. It tells us this is what he's going to do. You ready? Get ready. He's talking about this king. For you, and in my wonderful New American Standard Bible, you is capitalized. Thank you very much. Okay? Okay? For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the Battle of Midian. Listen, so the, the, there's only one verb that applies to all three things. Break, shatter, destroy. Okay, ready? Here we go. That what is this king going to do? He is going to break the yoke of their burden. He will break the staff on their shoulders. He will break the rod of their oppressor. Okay. I know you're happy. I'm going to get you happier. Ready? Here we go. In other words, this king, the first thing he do, will, he will break the yoke of oppression. Does everybody know what a yoke is? I'm glad Maxwell's in there because I would have I, I told him a, a yoke joke. But a yoke is like, you know, for, for cattle and for, uh, for the heavy service animals, that big you know, wooden thing that goes over your... I would have liked to have had one today, and I would have put it on my shoulders, and it would have been a great illustration. But as I told First Service, if I would have done that, Mrs. Dad would have taken it from me and hung it in our house. <laughs> you know, if you've been to our house, it's eclectic. She, it's all... I don't know who she is. But anyway, she's wonderful, okay? So, so but in the, you know it's true, right? Leon knows it's true. There's a disco ball. There's arrows. There's keys. There's lions. It's great. It's a wonderful house. I'm glad I'm married to Mrs. Dad. There's only one. Hallelujah. Okay? <laughs> but in the Old Testament, yoke, come here, Leon, help me since I'm picking on you. Come here, Leon, quick, quick, come on, come on. No, it's too soon for that. Yeah, yoke, when it, that, that was this big, huge wooden thing bent over, ayayumfna. Come on, ayayumfna, there we go. And it, it, it was this heavy thing that, 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 was, that, that was over people's shoulders, and it represented, that image represented heavy service, slavery under a foreign power. That was unjust and illegal. That's the yoke. The yoke is you are under, not done. You're not, you are, you are under the, the, this heavy forced, you are, you are, you are working for, you are, you are, even your life is being directed by a power, not your own. It is unjust and illegal. And there's someone behind it. This is this heavy yoke on you. And Isaiah said, there's someone coming who's going to break that off. And he also said, then he said, he said, 
this king will break the staff. The staff was, was something that would have been used by the, by the slaver. Uh, what, is that right? The, 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 the staff was something that was used to beat the shoulders of the oppressed, to beat them, to punish them into obedience. You will do If they stepped out of line, more harassment would come, more punishment would come, more pain would come into their life. And this king will not only break that yoke, but he will break that staff. The third thing he says is the rod of their oppressor. Now, you, you and I are reading this in English, think, is he just repeating himself? A staff and a rod, that's the same thing, except for the rod in the Hebrew, is in the, it, it, it could sound like scepter. So you have yoke, rod, staff, and scepter. The scepter is the symbol of this oppressor's authority. That will be broken. So, let me sum up. This king, who's coming, the expectation was this. This king will save his people from the burden laid upon them, the weapon formed against them, and the enemy who oppressed them. Isaiah saw a king who would save his people and defeat their enemy. He said that someone was coming who would do something. And there was an expectation of salvation. Friends, there there still is a need. People still need this salvation. Something is wrong. People are oppressed. People are beaten and they are punished. And people are living under, under bondage. Someone should do something. Isaiah says here that someone will do something. He prophesies that there will come a kingdom of salvation. I've got good news for you. A king has been born. Turn to your neighbor and tell him Merry Christmas. Listen, you got to you, you, tell him again Merry Christmas. I'm just, you got to think a king has been born. Talk about a gift. Stop thinking about socks. We're t- I'm talking about a king. A king has been born and his kingdom has begun. Jesus saves. Once again, we're back to the golf game. Thank you for Did I putt well? Right? Come on. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. They used to, they, I don't know, I, I hesitate to get too waxed too crazy on this because we've already gone longer than we should have on stuff today and I'm already late, but you're, you're fine and not upset yet. But they used to put that on signs at churches. Jesus saves. And I wonder why we don't do anymore. I think, and I think, I don't mean to, you know, my, my, my church boy filter went in, and I thought there's probably only two reasons why they took those off the signs most of the time. Number one, people stopped believing it. They stopped believing it. And they, they prefer Jesus pr- provides success seminars. Jesus makes you feel better, and he does. Jesus does this and that for you. Jesus meets your felt needs. But to say Jesus saves might imply that you need saving. And bless God, I'm an American. Can't tell me that. Right? Do you believe Jesus saves? Do you believe Jesus saves? Also, I, I wonder if the churches stop preaching it. We preach a lot of things, but man, Jesus saves. That's good news, friends. Jesus saves. Everybody say it again. Jesus saves. Jesus believed it. 
Did you know? Did you know that? Jesus. Yeah. Oh, who's Ben? Click, click, click. We're past. There's a need. Mm-hmm. I bet you can find Jesus saves. There you go, bud. Brilliant. Who's, you must be somebody's brilliant kid. Jesus saves. Jesus began his ministry with his, in his own words, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In his inaugural sermon, in Jesus' inaugural sermon, Luke records the first sermon of Jesus, if you will. He, he's at the synagogue, and in Luke chapter 4, now you have verse, the, 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 the screen will say verses 18 and 19. I'm going to give you the context. Beginning at verse 17, Jesus shows up at a synagogue, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Is. Someone say is. is. Because he has already anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he, verse 20, then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I love that about Jesus. Sat down. And everybody's mouth is wide open and gassed. Aghast. What? G-A-H. That's God. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he waited. And I'm, I'm just imagining this because I like Jesus. He waited just long enough. They teach you this in communication theory. That you, look, that you wait for it, that you pause long enough. And then you wait a couple more seconds just to make people uncomfortable. And then he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did you catch those verbs? Today, not, in other words, the day that he said it. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everything, Jesus said, everything you just heard is, is now. Everything you just heard is a reality. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Everything you hear, everything you see on that screen is a reality. It has been a reality since he said it, and that it, it, it will be a reality that will never cease to increase. That's next week. What Jesus implied right there, friends, you've got to catch this because it's, 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 more, it's more edgy than our, our, our kind of our, uh, our saline evangelicalism can kind of tolerate. It's our, our sanitized version of this is, is kind of like Jesus is up here to give everybody a big hug. Not that he's not, but what he implied by that statement is that he was introducing himself as a deliverer. He was introducing himself as one who would come and stand between the oppressed and their oppression. More specifically, the one who would stand between the, the oppressed and their oppressor. He came to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I am here to say, put up your dukes. And I want you to see it, that everything that you see is already a reality. The king has been born and his kingdom has begun. Matthew, the book of Matthew, the whole book of Matthew, uh, of, the, of the four gospels, Matthew is written to a largely Jewish audience. 
And his, one of his major agendas in the book of Matthew is to persuade, to inform and persuade his largely Jewish audience that this Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament messi- messianic hope. That all of their hopes, all of their, all of their study of the Old Testament, and the, li- and the that's why you'll hear things like son of David, a lot of times refer- reference to, to, the ki- to, to God's kingdom and the God's rule. That David, Matthew wants his audience to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of their messianic hope. Even the first verse that he's the son of Abraham and the son of David. Okay, so you need to hear that's the that's the agenda of Matthew, and but you need to hear that part of that agenda is not just to establish lineage and teaching. The book of Matthew is broken up into five teaching sections, just like another part of the Old Testament has five teaching sections. You know, the Torah has the Pentateuch has five books. All of that's true, but what Matthew goes out of his way to emphasize is the kind of king, the kind of kingdom I should say Jesus is bringing. And you need to hear it because you need to hear it with fresh ears because a lot of times people like us in seminary, they all told, they all told us that, that Matthew is the book of Jesus' teaching. And it is. But, oh, wow, what else does Matthew emphasize? Listen to what he does. Matthew introduces the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 4. He, this is how he describes the, the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 4.23. Are you ready? Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the, the gospel of the kingdom. And what kind of kingdom... It was this. What did this kingdom look like and sound like? What was, the, what, did, what was the nature of this kingdom? And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, uh, epileptics, uh, paralytics, and he healed them. You, on that list, it's such an easy list, but it's, it's, the list goes from people suffering with various pains that they can't identify to people who are full-on oppressed by demons. And there's not, not one of them is harder than the other. All of them are candidates for this king to set them free. Okay, I know you can say, oh, that's one verse, Dab. You're, you're commuting eisegesis. You're, you're cherry-picking. Am I? Let's keep going. I'll go over here. Talk to these people. Okay? Okay? Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. How many? Many. And he cast out the spirits with a word. Now, i got to tell you real quick why that's important. is because people attempted exorcism in Jesus' day, but most of them were Jewish, and most of them attempted exorcism by going, Hayawatha hungabunga. And they would, they would wave things and, and do incense and have little dream catchers, and, and they, do, they would do all this stuff and give them a little, you know, herbs. Uh, uh, uh. and they would, they would give him a few herbs, and people would calm down, and they'd say, oh, look, success. But Jesus comes, and he says, out. <laughs> and they're like, what? And, and, that's, and the whole countryside panics, because they've never seen anybody approach someone who was demonized and say, out, and they obeyed. And so they brought to, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with her, and, and healed all who were ill. What kind of kingdom is this? A kingdom of salvation. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. A king has been born. His kingdom has begun. Oh, there's more. Matthew chapter 9. Real quick. We got a few more here. Okay. 
What is, Matthew trying to, what, is, what is Matthew trying to tell us about this kingdom? Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and doing what? This sounds familiar. This sounds just like chapter 4. Exactly. Just same Jesus, different place. Oh, you only Jake got it. Same Jesus, different place. So what if we said Jesus was going through all the cities and villages in Clark County? Same Jesus. Same king. Okay, teaching in their synagogues and pro- proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And, and how was he explaining the kingdom? What did it look like? And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Yes, those are the exact same words on purpose. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now in first service, I explained that last sentence. I'm not doing it. No, no, I... No, no, I'll explain it, but I'm not going to reenact it again. Poor kid. No, no, listen, I'll explain why. I got a better one. Okay? Yeah, I do. No, yeah, come here, Brownie. No, it's good. Uh, distressed and dispirited means harassed and helpless. And it literally means that he saw them as someone who had been, it was a, it was a term that used in the Greek, wrestled to the ground and pinned down. You can imagine what I did for service. Wrestled wrestled to the ground and pinned there and they were helpless and and they they could not help themselves and they needed a third party to intervene. And the third party did. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 15 says, many followed him and he healed them all. Matthew 14, 14, he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, he felt compassion for them, and healed their sick. Are you hearing Matthew trying to persuade his audience what kind of king this is? Look at Matthew 14. You're, you're, I only have, uh, I think, verse 36 on there, right? Yeah, so uh, but th- th- let me give you the context. Verse 35 is the context. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick, and they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. Let me just be absolutely clear. Well, let me, let me, let me make, let Matthew be clear first, and then we will be. There's more. Matthew 15, verses 30 and 31. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and the glorified the God of Israel. And all the way, all the way up to verse chapter 19, now we're getting right to the point where, where, where the passion begins. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. The entire ministry of Jesus is marked by healing and deliverance because Jesus saves. When you say Jesus saves, it doesn't just mean you die and go to heaven. I'm glad that it does. No golf clap there. I'm glad that it does. Amen. I don't want to go anywhere else. I am so glad for eternal life. I am so glad for heaven. I'm so glad there's more to come. I'm so glad this life is not all there is. Hallelujah. But understand this, that Matthew does not describe for us a Jesus who only offers us hope on the other side of eternity. Matthew describes a king who is present now and whose, and whose power to save starts now. 
Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Friends, we believe that. At Heritage, we absolutely believe this because it's in the book. Basically, here's the story. If it's in the book, we believe it. Okay? We believe it. We believe that this Jesus is exactly what this world needs. It's exactly what my heart needs, my home needs. Amen. The Apostle Peter, when he was going to summarize, now Matthew's audience was largely Jewish. You might think, well, maybe that was just for the Jews then. Luke, when he is writing the book of Acts, who is writing to a larger, a larger audience, primarily a Greek audience, he's writing to, the, to a Greek in particular in Theophilus. He writes and, he's, and he's, he quotes Peter, who is at a Gentile's house, Cornelius' house, a, a Roman leader. He's at Cornelius' house, and he's going to summarize the life of ministry to a Gentile, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He's going to summarize it to a Gentile. What does Peter want this Gentile to know about Jesus? Hmm. Ready? Now, there's a lot of great things you can say about Jesus, and they're all true. Am I right? Great teacher, parables, good with the fish and chips. Right? But what does he emphasize? Of all the things, Peter, who was with Jesus from the start, what does he say? He says to Cornelius, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. You know, they still believed in the, that the devil is a real devil, that he's a bad devil and that he hurts people. But they didn't, but they didn't focus on that. They weren't afraid of that. What they believed is that, there's a, that a king has been born and he has done something about the yoke that oppressed them the weapon formed against them, and the authority of the one, the enemy, who oppressed them. The aged apostle John, John the apostle, he writes much later than the rest of everybody else. He writes in his, old, in his older years. And you would think, you could think it's a possibility that, in, that as life has gone on, you know life happens and our perspective changes, and you know we tend to simmer down, maybe. Maybe. I don't think I have. Thank God. Man, I hope I'm just as nuts at 87 as I am at 47. Okay? I mean, happy nuts. You know what I'm talking about, okay? But here's John, and you'd think he'd simmer down, calm down, just tell people to get along. He does. He tells them, hey, I want, he, he does say things like, hey, would you guys just love one another? And by the way, avoid idols. But then when he looks back and he gives the summary of his friend, his Lord, and his friend, Jesus of Nazareth, whom he knows to be the Son of God, he has one sentence that he gives in, first, in his first epistle in chapter 3. This is his, his, his succinct summary of why his friend, the Lord Jesus, came. You ready for it? First John 3, 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> Friends, Jesus did something. He is the king who saves. He broke the burden that's been laid upon you. He broke the weapon that was formed against you. And he overcame. He defeated the enemy who sought to oppress you. Jesus saves. Can you say it together with me? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Friends, we need to stand together. We're going to pray together as we close. Aaron, thanks for coming. Uh, let's just play a little bit. I, I don't want to leave. We've already had opportun taken opportunity to pray for folks. And our time has gotten away from us just a little bit. It's mostly my fault because of my giddiness. But friends, Jesus saves. Would you all say it again with me again? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. 
And I just want us to just take a moment as Aaron plays and our heads are bowed across this room. I, my prayer is that the, the testimony of Scripture has nourished your faith, perhaps ignited hope in your heart afresh. And if you've come this morning and you have, and just like we read in the Gospels, where there was a whole list of things, it could be that there's just pain in your body. We really believe Jesus cares about that pain. It could be that you're carrying an actual you know, diagnosis, an actual injury, an actual sickness in your body. Friends, we believe Jesus cares. We believe Jesus saves. Not, not to freak anybody out or get all weird, but you might just be feeling a general sense of heaviness, a gloom. What, and the, the scripture calls that oppression. It means to be pressed down. Something that you just can't shake. Something, that, a trouble in your soul, a weight that you've been carrying. I really mean this. If, it, if there's pain in your body, a sickness that you're aware of, or, a, or just a heaviness in your heart, you might, yeah, you might feel like you are trapped even in a behavioral cycle that you can't shake. And you keep thinking, man, I just can't shake this thing. I feel like, like I'm almost tied to something. You mean like a yoke? Yeah. don't want you to leave this morning without giving you an opportunity to respond to prayer because of our time the best way that I can do this is just say this if you would like prayer for your soul for your physical body for your life you need you need healing you need deliverance you need freedom today you need the presence the action of the Savior in your life there are people that want to pray with you and for you today. We believe Jesus wants to meet with you. I'm standing right here. Would you just come and join me or stand here across this front right now? You, you have a pain, you have pain in your body, sickness that you want the Lord to touch today. You're carrying something, you're struggling with something. Look, it's all good news. Jesus saves. Come on, come on. There's more. There's, there's sometimes it just takes one person to move and then think, oh, okay, I won't feel so awkward. But it doesn't matter if there's one or a hundred. You need the touch of Christ today in your life. Would you come and join me here at the front? I need some others, some prayer workers to come and to join me here at the front. We're just going to gather around those who desire prayer today, those who are coming for the touch of Christ in their life. What are you singing, Aaron? What are you singing? Yeah, what key is that in? around these that have gathered. Friends that are here in the room, while these are praying, would you just begin to intercede? Just begin to give the Lord thanks that He cares about what people are walking through, that He cares about what people are facing in their life today, and that He wants to touch them. Just, just, just quietly just say, thank you, Lord. Some of you might be thinking of some things in your own life that you haven't responded to, but you know you need the Lord's touch in. Go ahead and just mention those things to the Lord right now. You don't, the Lord cares. He has compassion towards you. He wants to be present in your life today. So, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, 
We ask in Jesus' name that you would minister. Lord, that you would bless. Lord, that you would strengthen. Lord, that you would bring healing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, let your power, let your anointing flow in these people's lives today. In Jesus' name. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Oh, come let us adore Sing that chorus as we dismiss. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Now, Father, let your hand of grace, your hand of kindness, your hand of compassion reach into our lives and minister the healing, saving presence of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you care about every part of our lives, every spectrum of our lives, and that you offer salvation, that you are the King who saves. And we give you thanks for this today in the name of Jesus. Would you say amen? Amen. Hey, as you go today, would you be kind to someone around you? Find someone to say hello to. Don't run out of here without being greeted or greeting somebody else. All right. Get some joy on you.